You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 and uh, get make sure that you have Bibles, pens, paper, something to write on, as well as some journals as... Uh, I encourage you to be taking notes and writing down scripture references and different things we'll be referring to today. Well, you know, 2020 continues to be a year like none other. And, uh, and, and, and there's been many kind of uh, wonderful memes that have helped to kind of give a stamp on 2020. Here's, here's one that I've seen recently. Perhaps you've seen it. Um, if two, as you see, 2020, somebody jumping out of a burning building and only to jump into another one, if that doesn't seem to sum up this year, doesn't it? Um, or this next one, seeing it was Halloween yesterday, if 2020 was Halloween candy. Yeah, taking Brussels sprouts and putting chocolate on it. Yeah, that would about summarize things because wouldn't that be deliciously gross to uh, enjoy something like that? Or this next one. Um, now, I'm not sure if some of you perhaps seen it's time change weekend, just tempted to leave it all, don't want that extra hour of sleep, don't want one more hour to this year. And so it says, I'm not turning my clock back on Sunday. The last thing we need is an extra hour of 2020. And yet, folks, in all of this, we know and we believe and we proclaim that God is sovereign. Our God is in control. And, and humor can provide some good relief and a little chuckle, but it offers no lasting hope when it comes to the problems that we face personally or what is happening in the world around us. Humor isn't going to take you very far. And, but, but we can turn and we will turn to God's Word. And so please, have your Bibles open. Important to have this uh, as we look to God's Word from 1 Peter chapter 3. Now I want to just remind you, give you an overview. Peter was writing this under the direction, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And he's writing this letter to Christians. To Christians in Asia Minor that were facing growing and mounting persecution and opposition. Christians who were being singled out and they were being targeted. You see, the emperor Nero uh, of Rome, he was the emperor of Rome, in desiring to build a greater, more modern, and put his architectural stamp on the city, had great sections of the city, the older parts, lit on fire so that he could then take and rebuild a much grander Rome. The backlash to the fires by the Roman people was, was so great, not anticipated, that Nero blamed the Christians. He had to put the blame on someone. He needed a scapegoat, and so he put it on Christians who were a very relatively, so to speak, small sect of people during that time. This ended up set, setting off an empire-wide persecution of Christians that ended up becoming very, very brutal. Very bloody and very brutal. And Peter the Apostle is writing to Christians, reminding them in the midst of troubled times, in the midst of persecution, do not lose hope. Stand firm. And in the midst of all of it, proclaim Christ. Proclaim Christ as the hope, the only hope that people can cling to that is certain and sure here on this earth as well as in eternity to come. Peter a few years after writing this letter, would himself be persecuted in the ultimate way. He would be crucified upside down for his faith, unwilling to recant or deny Christ. This is why after the book of Psalms, 
God's people have turned oftentimes to 1 Peter as one of the New Testament books, as a go-to book for God's people who are facing discouraging and difficult life circumstances and situations. 1 Peter is so rich and it is so beautiful, reminding us of the glorious truths of our salvation in Christ. How we can have a living hope, a confidence, a strength, no matter what comes our way, no matter what the future holds. We can have that living hope, a confidence and a strength from God and in God that is out of this world, that is divine. And we end up then in the very end of time here on earth have then a future inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. In the midst of all that is going on in our world, so much is happening in our own personal lives as well. Some in our church, as we prayed just a few moments ago, are facing some extreme trials, some big questions as far as what is going on in their lives. And God's word and God's truth is where we find hope and our strength and our confidence. This is where we can find a peace that passeth all understanding through the word of God and the spirit of God alive and active in our lives. And even in our personal circumstances or the confusion and the chaos that is being caused by COVID-19 and all the political unrest that is going on, and it's taking a toll on every one of us. There is such a tiredness and a weariness that, that I am sensing as I talk with people, even parents talking about their children, their teenagers are tired, just seem extra tired and weary, and it's just like we're getting so loaded down, so overwhelmed by the conversations, by the debates, by the issues, by the news reports, by the social media, by all of these different things. Folks, we are living in dark days This past week, our nation here in Canada, our nation's parliament voted 308 to 7 to give approval in principle to a bill that would outlaw the practice of conversion therapy, meaning that conversations between parents and their children or the counsel that comes from religious leaders or counselors regarding a person's sexual orientation or gender identity would be outlawed, even criminalized. The day is approaching in our land where God's word could or would be considered to be hate speech, among other things. And yet, despite what is going on personally or in society, our rest, our trust, our hope must be in Christ. If it's not there, folks, you are going to be a wreck. You say, I'm already a wreck. Cling to the word of God and find strength and find hope. It's going to get worse if we're not clinging to these truths. And the truths we're going to talk about today are so important. Anything less than clinging to God's word, anything else that we're putting our hope and our trust in, it will fail you. It will. It will just completely fail you. It will let you down. Politics will disappoint and let you down. Your finances, you think, well, if I have money. Yes, you may have plenty of money, but it's not going to give you the joy, the happiness, the satisfaction that you are hoping that it will, and you're just not quite there yet. There's an emptiness. 
There's a void because we're pursuing, we're putting our hope and our trust in the wrong things. And in 1 Peter, God declares through Peter as he's writing to us that in the midst of all of this, we do not run, we do not hide, we let our lights shine for Jesus Christ. We are to, in the midst of this, and and we've talked about this in previous weeks, we are to be proclaimers of Christ on mission for him not cowering in fear, not running and hiding. We are to be living in declaring the excellencies of Christ and the hope that we have in him. Come what may. We are to do that. And there is so much hopelessness. You hear the drug overdoses. You hear of the depression. You hear of the alcoholism. You hear of everything that is going on. This world is getting darker But the problem in the world just isn't the darkness, it's also the failure of the light. And so in in 1 Peter 3, verse 8, where we left off from last week, we see an important word here, and and so look at your Bibles, you're going to see this first word we're going to look at today, it says, finally, in chapter 3, verse 8. Now this finally actually takes us way back to chapter 2, verse 11. Flip over in your Bibles right now, make sure you check that out. In, in chapter 2, verse 11, this is where it all be, begins. This is where this last section that we've been preaching through starts, and this is what this finally refers to. In 2.11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Don't we have that every day? We have the passions of the flesh that wage war against our soul in so many different ways. In, in, in fact, it goes on, it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Peter is saying, despite all that is going on, despite the difficulty and the suffering and the mounting persecution that is happening to you, church, Peter tells them, live this way. This is how you are to live. And he singles out some vital relationships that through our lives... And through our testimony in these relationships, our testimonies for Christ, we are to be proclaimers for Christ. That will cause people to look and say, what makes you tick? What is so different about you? There is something different. And we say then, yes, it is Jesus. And, and these three vital relationships that we've been looking at, first of all, are relationship to governing, governing officials. Even unfair, corrupt government that cannot be trusted we are to have an attitude of submission towards them. We talked about that a number of weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that. In the workplace, our attitudes towards our employers, towards our boss. And then the last two weeks, we've been talking about marriage, that, that we are to proclaim Christ in how husbands treat their wives, in how wives respect and submit to their husbands. Again, you can go ahead and you can listen to those from past weeks. And today, this important relationship where this finally is all about is with you and me. It is with one another. Whoever you're watching with today, if you're one of our gatherings, if you're watching together with family or a few people online at home, this speaks about our relationship as the body of Christ and and how we are to live and how we are to act and react towards one another. And here, basically, Peter is telling us, and God's calling us, love like this. 
This is how we are to love. And so let's read here. We're going to read a number of verses. Finally, starting at chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you, having unity of mind, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now we have a few more verses, but we'll get to those a little later on. This passage, in so many ways, it is an indicator of genuine biblical maturity. You see, so oftentimes we think biblical maturity is based on years that we've been saved, years that we've been baptized, years that perhaps we've been a church member, how many years we've gone to church, and, and that somehow dictates our, our, our spiritual maturity, or in the training that we've had. Maybe you, you, were, you went to Bible school, you've enrolled in courses, and so you've been trained up, or, or maybe we think our biblical maturity is because of the knowledge that we've acquired over the years, or maybe it's because of ministry positions that we've held within the church or in a parachurch organization. Folks, that means deadly. That means nothing if these verses that we're talking about today are not growing realities in our lives. You can have all the knowledge. We can have it all. We can know all these things. We can have a great spiritual resume of things that we've done. But if these are not happening in our lives, we are not progressing in the area of biblical maturity. And if they're not happening in a progressive way, we're slipping back into lukewarmness in our spiritual walk with God. And so we are instructed. These are words from God in how If you are a believer in Christ, these are words for me, they are words for you. This is how we are to live. We are instructed to love, and and here's how it is. We are to walk in another's shoes. We are to walk in another's shoes. And it says, finally, all of you, notice all of you, this isn't just for ministry leaders, this isn't for pastors and elders. This is every one of you. If you're in Christ, this is for each one of us. No exceptions. And it says, have unity of mind and sympathy. Now, unity of mind refers to thinking the same way. And and then right after that, we see the word sympathy. And, And this means we are to feel what others feel. This means we are to enter into the lives of others with understanding. This does not mean that we can or we will necessarily agree, and that won't happen, we will not see eye to eye on all things. Like like things like politics or music style or on sports teams. I mean, if we all agreed on everything like that, that would be uniformity. God is not turning us into a bunch of robots or into a bunch of clones where we all think and, 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 and... believe exactly the same, have all of the same kind of convictions in in certain areas. This is unity. See, unity is beautiful because within unity, there can be great diversity while we unite over what matters most. One of the great things when, when I, when we joined the Great Commission Collective and as our church started and being in the Great Commission Collective, this network of churches that we get to be a part of, uh, part of the heartbeat, part of the DNA, I remember hearing very early on, hearing this statement, we major on the majors and we minor on the minors and in all things love. Write that down. We major on the majors, we minor on the minors and in all things love. 
God, folks, you just got to believe, I believe that God is doing and has been doing a good gospel work here at Hope Kelowna. And I trust and I believe with great faith and confidence, not so much in me and not so much in you, but ultimately in God, that we would hear from him and we would obey and we would be a church that would major on the major, we would minor on the minors and in all things love. This next slide you're going to see is just some important circles. You might want to draw them as uh, I talk about them in a moment. moment. Here we see these important circles. We see absolutes at the center. Out from that we see convictions. Out from that another circle, opinions. And and the last one, we have questions. And, And you have to understand that the things at the very center, the absolutes, there are some things that are worth fighting for. There are absolutes that we must hold on to, and we must fight for. When it comes to absolutes, when it comes to absolutes, I'm I'm talking about the primary doctrines of the Christian faith, that if you remove them, you remove the Christian faith. Things like the authority of Scripture, the Trinity, the virgin birth, the cross, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These are, are, are tenets that we hold on to. These are absolute, and there's more These are just a sampling of them. These are hills that we will die on and we will break fellowship with other churches, with other believers over these issues. But then, as you see here, uh, the circle's back once again, we have convictions. Now, these are things that we will at times just agree to disagree about, whether it's spiritual gifts, modes of baptism, eternal security, end times, church governance, There's going to be at times where there's brothers and sisters in Christ. We share the same convictions. We just have, or we share the same absolutes. We just have some different convictions. But then you have, again, back to the circle, we have opinions, which, you know, come down to things like worship style. If and and how should Halloween be celebrated? See, we've just come through that. Or the drinking of alcohol or various other things where, where we can have varied opinions on. And then finally, the last one, questions. And there's so many. These are the unsettled issues. Um, things, uh, things like even who authored the book of Hebrews? What about end times? Once again, that always seems to come up. Uh, who is the Antichrist? We have a lot of questions there. What is the mark of the beast? What will that be? Again, questions. Now, these are, are, are important things to understand. And, and to understand in all of these, so much hurt and so much damage can be done within the body of Christ. If we could have that last slide about, uh, yeah, there we go, to major on the majors, to minor on the minors, and in all things love. Because there has been so much hurt that has happened over the centuries, and, and, and has happened in recent days, and is happening even now. So much damage done to the body of Christ, and a watching world sees how we get along or how we don't get along, and they say, I want no part of this. If that's the way Christians love, if that's the way they get along, if that's the way they disagree, I don't want anything to do with it. And so we are to love, we are to walk in another's shoes. Second of all, we are to love family style. Look at what it it says in in verse 8. It says brotherly love. You say, well, uh, if if we're talking love loving one another family style, well, my family doesn't exactly get along. We have relatives who haven't spoken to each other for years, who won't talk to me. 
Perhaps you're, you're someone like that, and so you say, so I'm not sure what you're talking about here, Melden. Well, we're not necessarily talking about your family or not necessarily talking about my family. We're talking about God's family. We are to love one another God's family style. If you are in Christ, you have brothers and sisters all over this world. You have brothers and sisters in the room that you are watching with. You, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and together we are sons and daughters of God. That word brotherly love is from the word phileo, which means to love with affection. It's a deep friendship kind of love. This is a love that doesn't quit. We don't give up and we fight for and with one another. We fight for the unity. We fight for togetherness. And this is why I just believe, once again, it's so important that you be involved in a group, that you are meeting with others in a group through the week. You see, Sunday service, it's not enough. And yes, we have a personal, individual faith in Jesus Christ. That's where it all starts. And that's where it continues to grow in our God time daily. That's so important. But if, if we are saved, if we are in Christ, we are not saved to be alone. We are to be part of God's family. We are to be in community with one another, learning, growing, diving into God's word together. And when it comes in our, in our, in our small groups that gather throughout the week, at the mutual ministry time at the end, where they're sharing and praying and deeply caring for one another, where there's at times repenting and admission of struggles of areas of sin, and where together with brothers and sisters helping us to make war on those sins and desiring help and accountability from brothers and sisters in Christ. That's so essential. And yet maybe this, this meme kind of might describe where you are at when it comes to groups and trying to open up. Maybe you find it difficult. Cave of Crosses thought this is so fitting in a unopened or a struggle to open box of KD and it's me trying to open up to someone or maybe it's me trying to open up in a small group and you say I've tried it it hasn't gone well encourage you to try again the enemy doesn't want you in community he doesn't want you to have brothers or sisters in Christ that will stand with you and for you hold you accountable and encourage you that is so needed and so necessary. That's why we have groups gathering weekly in small group settings, and I guess you could call it now small groups in large spaces, as we are renting various facilities. We see this is so important. We're, we're spending uh, your money <laughs> as you're giving to the work here to rent facilities on Sundays, but even through the week so that our groups can meet in, in larger spaces and, and, and spread out so we're not meeting in homes and, and there's also a, a, a prayer group. There's a small group meeting together Thursday nights through Zoom. And so encourage you. We need one another. Be in community as the body of Christ. Thirdly, we are to break with the broken. Look at the, uh, getting towards the end of verse 8. It says, a tender heart. We are to have a tender heart. This literally means, and this sounds kind of gross, but it's also pretty good, um, in that this means love from the bowels. All right, that sounds yuck, right? And, and yet, but if you understand it, this means loving from the depths. See, we can love with our heads and with our lips and we can, can, can say we love a person and, 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 you know, say kind things. We can love from our heart, but this is like from the gut, 
This is a deep love. This is not just saying we love, we care, oh, we'll pray. This is about entering into the pain, into the suffering of what others are going through. This is where we are to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those that mourn. Not just feeling sympathy, but stepping into that hurt and brokenness. Even on Thursday night in our Zoom prayer group, when Kelsey Vanderham logged in and got to see her a part of it, and just so glad that in the hospital in Vancouver, she will be there for the next number of weeks, and their family's in uproar, and they're just desiring to care for and, and, and see this little child in, in her to, to, to stay longer, and I'm not going to get into all the medical stuff because I don't understand it, but when I saw her, I just got all choked up. And just so thankful that we could stand with this family. And we're so thankful that many of you are doing that with Jordan and Kelsey. That is the beauty of the body of Christ. Yet sadly, there's a great killer to this breaking with the broken, from this loving from the bowels. There's a great killer to it. And it's called a critical spirit. Now, none of us would ever necessarily admit to people that we have a critical spirit. In fact, some of you might even claim that it's your spiritual gift. Now, again, we don't call it the spiritual gift of critical being a, having a critical spirit. Uh, we don't call it that. We'll call it discernment, um, which is, in fact, a true spiritual gift. And yet, Sadly, we can take and what having a critical spirit is not a spiritual gift, but we can be so quick to judge, to basically think we've got people figured out, and ultimately to cannibalize one another in the body of Christ. So easily we can do that. The true gift, the Holy Spirit gift of discernment, God imparts wisdom and understanding to people, is also infused with the fruit of the Spirit. And in the fruit of the Spirit, we things like, see things like love and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And so it's not just about having discernment and pointing out the problems and the issues with people, being logical about it. It means at times coming alongside. Not at times, it means coming alongside with love and care and seeking to understand and help that person. Not just criticize, not just be an umpire calling balls and strikes and fouls, but getting in and doing life, caring, with, caring for and with them. And this is how we can love. This is how we can break with the broken. Fourthly, we are to remember and consider the weaker brother. Notice it says there, and a humble mind at the end of verse 8. This is how we are to think and respect one another with a humble mind. You see, we live in a world right now of radical individualism, which is such the opposite of having a humble mind. And, and the opposite of a humble mind is a proudful mind, is pride. And today we, are look, we have a culture that you could call the look-at-me culture, which is basically Bruce, which is just, just covered in, in, in the area of pride. 
he, he, again, this is a meme Sunday. I'm t- sorry if, I, if you don't get memes or different things. And if you can't read this, this one, a picture of a lady helping a senior. It says how people used to do good deeds and then how they do them now. And it's a person doing the exact same good deed, but they have a selfie stick and they're taking pictures so they can post it and let everyone know about their good deeds. It's all about me, 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 me. Look at me, look at me. Look at what I did here. Look at what's happening here. And it's, it's my life, it's my selfies. It's, it's me, 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 my stuff, my opinions, my views, my reputations. Folks, we have not been saved as children of God to make life and to make everything all about me. It's about we. And it's so important, this humble mind is that we consider others. And this lack of a humble mind is dividing God's people. It's dividing God's people across this world, in our nation, in our own city, in our own church. It even has the possibility of doing that. As COVID-19 has been playing out, we have all gained and experienced various levels of education, various levels of perspective, understanding, lots of emotion, lots of opinions, Lots of convictions. And we hold on to those rather passionately, it would seem. However, our views can and are oftentimes very different than one another's. These differing views have caused and are causing families, friends, churches, and society to be greatly divided, fragmented, into various camps. Along with the U.S. election that we need to be praying for this week like crazy, all of this together is combined as a perfect, disastrous storm. We have Biden versus Trump. We have evangelicals for Biden, evangelicals for Trump. We have significant, well-respected religious leaders who are divided over the Trump-Biden debate. Then we also have vaxxers and anti-vaxxers, maskers and anti-maskers, pandemic concerns and pandemic concerns. I know personally two Christian medical doctors, godly men, wise men, who have totally at the opposite end of the spectrum, totally two different views on the approach to COVID and all that is happening. So much confusion so many perspectives, so many disagreements, and a lot of nasty and hurtful things being said in conversations, whether that's in person or online. Masks have become a big topic in our province. Other places, that's already a a, a won or a lost battle. But it's becoming a bigger thing. And everyone believes I'm right, and others are ignorant, and uninformed or uncaring. Yet God's word calls us to a humble mindedness. This is where we're not going, we're not out to try to convince or change people. We are out to respect and love and care for one another. This is where we take time to listen, to walk in their shoes, be tender hearted towards one another, trying to understand where they are at. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, Melden, you, you entitled this point about um, the weaker brother, the weaker sister. Who exactly in this are you labeling as the weaker brother or sister? 
in regards to COVID-19 or masks or the politics and all of this that we're facing. You know who the weaker brother or sister is? It's you and it's me. It's all of us. Because we've never walked this road before. And we need to be so humble and gracious and caring and concerned for one another. You see, we are all weak. First Peter chapter 1, 24 says, All flesh is like grass, which basically it withers. It's soon going to be gone. It's browning up. It's going to die off. None of us have the full understanding and perspective. No one on this earth does, but God does. And oh, dear church, would we just rather, rather, rather than scrolling and posting, would we do more seeking God in prayer? Less clicking and commenting and more connecting and caring with others. Instead of reading every article and post and comment to back up our cases or to back up our arguments. What if we studied in the same way and memorized God's word, which is the only trusted source of truth and hope? What if we put our time and our attention and our focus there? Oh, would we be loving as the body of Christ? Would we be respectful and at times respectfully agree to disagree and to do that in love? Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I encourage you, please read this, please write it down and then read it this week. It is a very pointed and powerful teaching about considering and loving and respecting those who have varying views and practices than us and how we can bring and so easily, if we're not careful, cause offense by simply not caring for where other people are at. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, it ends up coming with a very serious warning. And the Apostle Paul, writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, tells us that failure to love this way, failure to consider those who are around us, to be inconsiderate in this way, is to disregard a fellow believer. It's not only a sin against them as a fellow believer, but 1 Corinthians 8, verse 12 says it is a sin against Christ. That's a serious, serious thing. Again, major on the major, minor on the minors, and in all things love. May we live to bring glory to our God in our relationships, in our love. That though we vary in our ideas, and our opinions, that what would be said of us is, oh, how Hope Church loves. Oh, how they love God, and oh, how they love one another. Look at what Philippians 2, 7, Paul wrote this in, in verse 2 of Philippians 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You see, Christ is the one who enables us to have this one-mindedness, to have this love for one another. And then number five, we, say, we see love this way means that we will refuse to retaliate. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, it says in verse nine. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. You see, guaranteed in the Christian life, you will sadly 
disappointedly be hurt, be attacked at times from other Christians, from fellow believers, as well as from those outside the church who are against the faith. If it happened to Jesus, which it did, it can happen and it will happen to us. We are all under various and different forms of spiritual attack. The enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy and to bring any sort of discouragement or destruction into our lives. And anyone who desires to be living a godly life will face difficulties, even persecution. And yet when we are attacked, our flesh, what does it want to do? We want to attack back, don't we? We want to strike back. When we're reviled, we want to revile back. When evil comes our way, we want to strike back with a little bit of evil. I'm a justice guy, and so, oh, I struggle in this. But instead, we are to bless. We are to respond with grace. Refuse to retaliate, and we respond with grace. And we respond in the grace, we respond in grace with God's help. Because that is how Christ has and continues to respond towards us. And rather than getting, you see, what we deserve because we have reviled, we have sinned against him, we have done evil against him in our sin, what do we get back in return? We've received grace. We've received mercy. We've received forgiveness. We were once against God, reviling, rebelling, and he chose to bless us with the gospel, to bless us with his son, to bless us with his son coming to this earth and dying on the cross for our sins. And instead of judgment, he extends mercy. And so we ought to do the same. We are to do the same. It says, for to this you are called. This is our calling to be like this. And the end result of all of this is anticipate God's blessing. When we're living this way, when we're loving this way, we can anticipate God's blessing. Look what it says in in the last part of verse 9. It says that you may attain a blessing. Now our idea, our North American idea of blessing, blessing from God, has to do with our vindication, with all of the wrongs being righted, with a guilty person locked away or somehow disciplined and dealt with. And the other way we see blessing is we're successful, we're wealthy, we're healthy, and we're wise. That's blessing from a North American human perspective. But God's idea of blessing is so different. Look at in verses 10 to 12 how what Peter has to say, and he's actually quoting from Psalm 34. It says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, you want to love life and see good days? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer and the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Psalm 34, from which Peter was quoting from is an amazing psalm. David wrote this and encourage you to write down 1 Samuel chapter 21 because he wrote this after his experiences that took place in 1 Samuel 21 and continuing on from there. Where David is alone, he's on the run, King Saul is angry, he's out to kill him, he's jealous, and even God's people are out to kill David. And he's lonely and he ends up running taking refuge in a Philistine city in Gath. And and he lands there with the Philistines, the enemy, 
And it's quite the story, actually. David ends up, he's in the city, and he gets recognized like, hey, that's David. And so then, and, and I love God's word. It's so amazing. He ends up acting like a crazy man, and he's going all crazy, and he's like scratching at the, at, at the city gates, and he's like spit is coming all down from his beard. You can read this in God's word. This is what's happening. He's acting like a crazy man, and they're like, get him out of here. And he just barely got out of there. Otherwise, they would have killed him if they would have realized it was David. You see, David, even though he was treated terribly by some of God's people, he ended up running to the world for help, for shelter, for refuge. And that nearly cost him dearly. And Psalm 34 ends up becoming, read that psalm this week, it's amazing. It's a psalm of praise. It's about David and he's calling us as God's children to place our confidence, our trust in God. Even when other Christians fail to live up to God's standard and do you wrong, Trust in God. Hold on to him. Don't go running away. Don't go running off. We don't go to their level. We don't repay. We don't revile. We don't quit. We don't run to the world for refuge. We don't give up on God's people. We don't give up on the church when these things happen. No, instead, we love. Instead, we trust. We seek peace and pursue it. We choose to trust God. We choose to be obedient to his word no matter how hard, how difficult, how much our flesh fights it. And as God cared and blessed and used David in a mighty way, he will do the same for you and for me, for all of us, as we put our hope and our trust and our praise and our hope and our worship in him. We pour out our hearts to him. We worship him. We praise him. We hold on to the promises of God's word. And, it's, and, and look what it says happens in verse 12. God turns his face, his countenance towards us, his eyes, his ears towards you and me, to those who grab hold of God in this way, grab hold of his promises, grab hold of him in worship. This is what he's talking about. This is a blessed life. This is a life that is blessed from God, where God turns his face towards us. The blessing of his presence, the blessing of his power and his peace. And this past week, as I've talked and texted and heard from some of our church family who are walking through some of these trying challenges and difficulties, I'm hearing in the midst of it, as they are choosing to trust, choosing to put their hope and their trust in God, they're finding his peace in sweet times with their Savior. They're experiencing his presence and his provision. And that can be true for all of us. He will see his children through. Loved ones, this is how we have been so loved by God. And this is how we are to so love one another. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we're just so thankful that no matter the situation that we're facing, no matter the situation, whatever happens this week, come what may, God, you are in control. And God, you are greater than anything that is going on. And God, I pray that as your children, we would not get caught up and waste the valuable days that you've given us here on this earth in petty conflicts. But God, that we would truly grow. We would take this as a season to put our roots down deep in the truth of your word, to grow in prayer, in our faith, in our trust and obedience to you. We thank you that you are a gracious and a compassionate father one who forgives and loves, a God who has pursued us, would we just fall in your mercy and your grace once again? Would we run to you for repentance where we have lacked love and tenderness and ask you to forgive us and where necessary ask 
brothers and sisters who we've perhaps hurt or offended to forgive us. And God, I pray that you would do a good work in each one of us. That no matter the future, no matter what comes, God, that you are there bringing hope and help and healing and strength, your blessing in our lives this week. I pray that over our church family. I pray whoever is watching, whoever is listening to this today, oh God, do this good work. Would we find freedom and forgiveness in you? Because it's in you, God, that we find that, w- that we are blessed. It's you who have called us. It's you who heal us spiritually. It's you who makes us whole. And we are filled with your power. And it's all for your glory and for your name and for our joy.